God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're going to begin this morning with a scripture reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Hear these words. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he did not want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Remember from last week, Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, Joseph called the son Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. This is Matthew's version of the Christmas story. You may know that only two of the four gospels in the New Testament contain Jesus's birth. Mark, which is our very first reading in the gospels, the very earliest reading, actually begins with Jesus' baptism. So it begins with Jesus's ministry. John, which is the latest of the gospel, actually begins with God is light, and light came into the world. So, kind of a birth story, but not the one we are used to. This is Matthew's version. Again, it's a version that not many of us may be familiar with. Instead, we're used to hearing Luke's version with angels and shepherds and a an nativity, and we hear a lot about Mary's experience throughout. Matthew's version is a little different. Matthew's version is a lot less glamorous than Luke's, which, don't worry, we'll still read Luke's version together on Christmas Eve. Instead of Mary's perspective, Matthew gives us Joseph's perspective on the events. The writer of Matthew is concerned with Jesus's identity, throughout this first chapter. So we picked up in verses 18, the first 17 verses of the Gospel of Matthew all deal with Jesus's lineage. So it gives us name after name of how Jesus is related to King David. Matthew wants us to know who Jesus is, who his identity is. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is a descendant of King David through Joseph. Then we are shown a very real internal struggle Joseph has because Joseph 
in Matthew's version, finds out that Mary is with a child. And he seems confused. He seems conflicted. There is a clear internal struggle happening. And he decides to dismiss Mary quietly so that neither of them are humiliated or judged. Right off the bat, Joseph questions the identity of the child that Mary is bearing. Joseph knows that it can't be his. Identity, once again, is called into question. Then, Matthew tells us that an angel appears to Joseph and reassures him of the baby's identity. The angel says that this child that Mary has is actually a child from God. It's from the Holy Spirit, which is a really confusing identity to have to have. What does that mean? What does that look like? But once Joseph has this dream and hears from an angel of God, Joseph stays with Mary. And when the child is born, Joseph names the child Jesus, just as the angel commanded. Once more, we, this speaks to identity. It speaks to who Jesus is. Because when Joseph names the child, Joseph is essentially adopting Jesus as his own flesh and blood. He's claiming him in his lineage and connecting him to King David. Identity is important and it's apparent in these six short verses. Identity. It's the essence of who we are. Sometimes our identity is connected to our family of birth. Other times our identity speaks to our personality or our character. And still other times it may be reflected in the culture or traditions or practices that we grew up in. Who are we? Who are you? And what does any of that have to do with Advent and the coming Christmas? Why did Matthew believe that Jesus' identity was so important that we had to address it right from the very beginning? Throughout my life, I have felt the pull of my own identity. My mom's family are all farmers, and I always felt an affinity to agriculture and crops of the land because of this connection. I was even in FFA, y'all, Future Farmers of America, in high school because of this aspect of my family's history. My dad's family were all Methodist. This meant I grew up in the Methodist church, and I can hardly remember a Sunday where my family didn't attend church together. Clearly, this has come to fruition in my calling as a United Methodist pastor. I was also the oldest child in my family, which meant I was bossy and independent and very orderly, and I also felt a lot of pressure to perform to the best of my ability. My identity has shifted and the labels have changed throughout my life, but there's always something inherently me to who I am. Something that brings together nature and nurture and all of the other experiences that I've had in my life. 
we each have this within us. We have identities that speak to who we are and to where we have come from. And we all also have this inner longing to know more about who we are. What do others see in us? How do we see ourselves? What labels do we embrace and which have we shed over the years? Which of our identities speak to who we truly are? Which speak to who God calls us to be and how we live our lives in the world? In our scripture reading, Jesus is not even born yet. And we see all of this conversation about who he is. How is he connected to King David? How did Mary come to conceive of such a child? How will Jesus be related to Joseph? How is Jesus related to God? And once Jesus is born and throughout his ministry, we will continue to hear these types of questions. Who is this man? Who is this person who can heal others? Who is this person who knows and understands ancient scripture so well? Who is this person who fraternizes with those on the margins, who argues with legal experts? Who is Jesus? As Matthew works to address these questions throughout his gospel, he begins in this passage that we read together by referencing that Isaiah reading that we actually covered last week in Advent 1. So if you missed it, in verse 23, Matthew quotes Isaiah, Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Matthew connects Jesus, this baby to be born, to a prophecy that was made long, long ago. Isaiah, the prophet, foretold of a coming peace for the Israelites and a newborn child who would serve as a living sign of such peace. Matthew, the gospel writer that we just read, he's well-versed in scripture, and he connects this old, old prophecy of Isaiah's to the birth of Christ. He predicts peace for the modern world. He shows hope of the people's past. The scandal of the Christmas story isn't Mary's pregnancy. It isn't Joseph's initial reaction to break off their marriage, which was actually very valid, although it seems harsh today. The scandal of this story is the fulfillment of peace in an unexpected way, in the midst of a murky identity and an incomprehensible symbol of hope for the world. When Matthew quotes Isaiah, he brings attention once again to the title, Emmanuel, God with us. Throughout this Advent sermon series, this concept of God with us will continue 
to be on the forefront of our minds. Last week, we talked about that hope that comes from the idea that God is with us in every moment, through every storm, and that God provides us spaces where we can truly be who God calls us to be. The idea of God with us here can also sustain each of us as a community, not only as individuals. In both Isaiah and in Matthew's day, destruction and death has reigned supreme. The Israelites in both time periods are in the midst of suffering and they seem to only have more suffering ahead. In Matthew's time, it is this persecution by the Romans. Emmanuel, God with us, reminds the community that there is hope that the tide could turn, that true peace could reign again. Emmanuel reminds the Israelites that they can continue on through the hardships because God is with them, and God is still present even in these collective moments of suffering. God is with them. In our world, there are many things happening that are a far cry from peace. There are wars, human rights issues, poverty. Collectively, we suffer. And still, God is with us, even today. Just as we each have our own individual identities, we also have a collective identity here in this place as followers of Christ. We come together to learn, to grow, to challenge ourselves to practice the radical love that we see personified through Christ. As we continue on in this season of Advent and in the anticipation of the birth of Christ, may we continue to know our true identity as beloved children of God. And may we come closer to knowing more about who Jesus is and how Jesus has called each of us to live as his followers. It's appropriate that today on this second Sunday of Advent, our tables are prepared for Holy Communion. It is through communion that we receive a very real, tangible symbol of what it means for God to be with us. Maybe it's hard to wrap our minds around what it means when we say Emmanuel, God with us. But when we come to the table this morning, when we taste of the bread and the juice, we get a tangible reminder that God is with us and it is God who sustains us. May we open ourselves up to how God is with each of us in this moment of holy communion. And may we work together to build more peace in the world through the knowledge of Emmanuel, God with us.